My next guest teamed up with his mom to help finance the breakthrough video for Maestro Fresh West, Let Your Backbone Slide. He also spent a dozen years convincing the CRTC to give him and his partners a license for Canada's first urban radio station, Flow 93.5. He spent six seasons as a judge with Canadian Idol, alongside one of my favorite rock voices, Sass Jordan. Today, he spends a lot of his time executing interracial conflict management workshops and seminars, as well as programs focused on community capacity building, as well as youth and community engagement. Please welcome to the show, Farley Flex. Hey, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. No problem at all. Yeah. Um, let, let's go back. Uh, now, were you born in Trinidad or your no, parents born, are from there? No, born in Blackheath, London, southeast London. Ah, from England? Yeah. Ah, okay, okay. Same as myself. Cool. Not, not from uh, Sidcup. Okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Trinidad to England, you, you're... No, no, England to Trinidad. England to... So you're born in England, then we moved over to, to Trinidad. Trinidad. Ah, yeah. okay, okay, okay. And then Canada. Okay. Yeah. So you wanted... You, you experienced the heat in Trinidad and parents decided to hightail it to uh, to the cold north. Yeah, well, you know, it's in that era, in the late 60s, mid to late 60s, um, a lot of Caribbean, people of the Caribbean, so actually from all over the world, really, uh, uh, p- uh, the original Prime Minister Trudeau had a very open-door policy as far as bringing immigrants into Canada to to help, you know, complement what was here. Mm-hmm. And um, so my parents, who were both educated in the U.K., decided they were going to, um, after they went back to Trinidad, they were re- certainly recognized through friends and what have you that there were opportunities here in Canada. Sure, so. Sure. So we actually lived in, speaking of cold, we lived in Edmonton before we moved to Toronto. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, as a child, you don't think about you, you all that. You don't know. Yeah, you and don't kids, think, kids yeah. Uh, for some reason, they love the cold. My yeah, son no, they loves love the winter. I think they love to play. They love to play in the yeah. snow. The, the, the <laughs> elements are not uh, a consideration when it comes to play and joy and things like that. That is so. That and is, they never should be, actually. No, that's so true. Mm-hmm. Um, how old were you when you guys came to Canada? We came to Canada. I was, uh, let's see, I did... I would have been five turning six. Okay, so you remember? Yeah. You don't remember too much. Yeah, I remember quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, so tell me, what back um, to uh, to Trinidad or oh, yeah, yeah. Down, Trinidad, UK, and obviously yeah. Edmonton. Yeah. What's yeah. what? What was life like in in Trinidad back in the sixties, seventies? Um, well, specifically, it was uh, you know as a, a child of that age, you know, your life is centered around family and play and sure, sports. Yeah. Some sports to some extent. Um, I grew up in a pretty competitive extended family, so we all played sports, and there were to be board games, cards. Um, we were a pretty uh, academically uh, focused family in terms of knowledge. So us as young kids were always around political discussions, religious mm. discussions, you know, uh, you know, civil you know, type things. So we were pretty aware of... Um, the key elements of how the world revolved, right? I'm, I'm sure these discussion of politics has not mm-hmm. stopped. It's probably increased these days. Yeah, well, exactly, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, what, what, what's, uh, what sports uh, were you attracted to? Uh, predominantly soccer, but I played uh, pretty well every sport. Yeah. Um, you know, after, obviously, well, not obviously, but after we moved uh, to Canada, you got more exposure to a wider variety of sports, yeah. uh, you know, basketball, volleyball, things like that. But in Trinidad specifically, soccer was soccer. the predominant. You know, I, lo- I had some cousins who played pretty high-level cricket, but I didn't play cricket specifically. Ah. Yeah, but certainly um, soccer primarily. And, um, yeah, that, that was that still is my favorite sport. 
I don't know if you, uh, in some of the schools that you uh, that you work out of, uh, if you've seen a, an explosion in cricket. But my my son has been playing cricket mm-hmm. since like grade five. Yeah, in yeah, school. certainly. Well, it's it's a reflection of the demographics of yeah. Sydney. If you deal in Scarborough, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. So the demographics of the of the region dictate um, the sports that people play. Now they do. Yeah. Years ago, I think hockey was has been the predominant interest. Yeah. Um, from a administrative standpoint, rinks and you know, mm-hmm. I remember, I can't know how many years ago, maybe 10 years ago in Ajax, they were building a new uh, recreation facility and they had a hockey rink and, I think it was a hockey rink. <laughs> they had, and I suggested, you know, you might want to think about cricket, think about um, uh, gym even. Like yeah, basketball. They sure, weren't even sure, going to sure. put it basketball gym. I think that was one of the things I found strange. But, yeah, I just told you, those who are in power are not always thinking about those who are not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no, no, no. That is that yeah. is so true. Um, so, how old were you when you came to Toronto? Uh, Toronto, I would I would have been. Uh, I did what grade two here, so I would have been seven. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, we didn't stay at Edmonton for long. I stayed at Edmonton from for about five till seven years old. Yeah. And started school here in grade two. In grade two. Okay. And was it was it Scarborough you landed yes, in? Yes, absolutely. What neighborhood? Uh, right at the Bellamy and Ellesmere. I went to a school called Bellmere, okay. which is at um, Bellamy and Ellesmere. And what high school did you go to? Uh, then I went to Lester B. Pearson High School. In, oh, I went to Pearson. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Nice. And football, I, from what I read, you've probably played a lot more sports, but I know you played football. I played football, but yeah. predominantly soccer, football, basketball, volleyball, badminton. Yeah, I played pretty well everything else. <laughs> I, I love loved sports. Was Is there a favorite that you have, a favorite yeah, sport? Soccer. soccer? Yeah. Yeah, what was your, your position in soccer? Uh, left fullback pr- primarily. Yeah? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You're, you're built like a football player right now. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> depends, depends on, you haven't seen me on the soccer field. Yet, so. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but tell me, I, I understand there was a, um, um, in a roundabout way, I guess so, let, let me get to it. So Scarborough Walk of Fame, you were inducted in, was it 2016, so a few years ago? Uh, you know, I, I'm not the best at chronologically yeah. remembering a few my years ago, though. life. Yeah, yeah. Not, not too long ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I know the, uh, and, and I'm guessing like there's always a charity uh, every year that uh, the event sort of uh, gives funds with? to, mm-hmm. um, yeah, is aligned with, and, and I think it was a Scarborough Hospital, Scarborough yes, General Hospital. Yeah, it was. Um, and my understanding is back in high school, you saw, I don't know if you broke a leg or you got an injury and you had to be treated at, uh, at that hospital way back when. Yeah, so in, um, what have been about, probably 78-ish, I strained my cruciate ligament, so in football. And uh, that was a hospital. That, took, that was a the hospital they took me to. But more significantly, my mom worked. Your there mom for, worked there, uh, yeah, for decades. Yeah. Oh, what was you, what was your mom? A doctor, nurse? No, nurse. Yeah, nurse okay. And, um, she was a head nurse in psychiatry, I believe it was. Well, ended up being in psychiatry, but not her overall uh, designation was as a registered nurse. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, when did sort of music uh, get into your life? I, I know you did you a lot of. of from the listening standpoint, not or, a listening, or more, more, yeah, more busy. Because I know you, you I know you, you, I know you're one of those, uh, you know, you're promoting clubs and dances and, and events and stuff like that. Right. When when did that sort of start for you? Yeah, that was probably 15, 16 when I did my first dance. Yeah. And, um, but I was recognized, you know, music as. Did you a, de- Were you a DJ? Is that, is no, that what no, you did? No, okay. Older. I was always on the business side. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Always on the business side. Yeah. What was it about? Was it the business you were more attracted to, or the da- or the music? No, or? it was the music, but yeah. the, but the business of music. Now, how, so how Which did is slightly different? 
how, like at 15, I'm just trying to think of my son. He's turning 13 next week. Mm-hmm. And I can't see him wanting to do anything for money. What, what sort of attracted you? Like, what was, was that like an ethic uh, that your family instilled in you just by watching your parents? Or I'm curious about that. Um, well, no, it came out of, uh, I guess, aspects of socializing. So um, when I was at Pearson, uh, one of my closest friends, his older brother was one of the prom- prominent DJs whose parties we would all go to all over the city. Yeah. And um, and me playing sports everywhere, along with some close friends, I decided I was going to do a dance based on the, the, I guess you could say, my network of, of uh, peers and acquaintances throughout the city. So we decided to have this da- um, breakdance competition, uh, which was actually a multifaceted. It was breakdancing, regular dancing, um, and roller skating all in the same party at a place called um, Roller Palace in Scarborough. Yeah, and, yeah I don't um, remember that place. No, you don't. I swear. I'm not you don't remember Roller Palace. But how old are you? Ten years younger than me. Yeah, you'd be, no, you, there's no way you remember Roller Palace. You didn't go there. I don't think I did. You heard about Maybe, it. Maybe I think... You heard about it on CNN. No, I'm just joking. But, I think yeah. so. Maybe. I think, it, yeah, because it closed down not that long after. It didn't last. I mean, everything, neighborhoods change, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, roller skating grew out of popularity after a little while. But, um, yeah, that was my first sort of hands-on insight into the ability of music to bring people together. Um, and me being, the, you know, one of the, the elements of orchestrating that that um, interaction, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So that was, I'd say, the, the first, a few different bugs inspired um, inspired uh, me musically, but that was one of them. Yeah. yeah. The ability to bring, music and sports always bring people together. And, um, you know, you almost celebrate differences through music and sports as opposed to hate through them or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, similarly to sports, like, did you, did you ever get involved in, in sports in, in the similar way you got involved in music? Um, on the business side, yeah, yeah. Um, dabbled. I'm I'm actually looking at some opportunities now in that in that arena. No pun intended, but um, yeah, certainly there's not much of a difference because sports has evolved into an entertainment. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I guess it always has been, but more so than ever. I think it's, it's associated as an entertainment thing, based on you know the evolution of television and you know even the experience when you go to a live event. Um, or a live sporting event, there's always many aspects of entertainment that the um, the producers of the event include, right? Mm-hmm. So, nice. Yeah. Tell me about Wizards. Now, I, I don't mm-hmm. remember Wizards. See, it's impossible for you to remember Roller Palace and not Wizards. Yeah, I, I don't remember Wizards, but because yeah. um, Wizards succeeded, Ro- was Roller after Palace. Yeah. same location. No, no, not same location. Okay, okay. But, the, but and where was Wizards? Kennedy and Shepherd. So on the northeast corner. Kennedy, Shepherd. It's like a roadhouse restaurant kind of thing. North, so opposite the mall. Yeah, yeah opposite the opposite mall from an east-west standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I wouldn't know that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know that. But So what, you, you, what were you doing at Wizards? Washing dishes or no, serving? No, no, no not at all. Um, I was my younger brother and his team of friends, like his group of friends who were like roughly seven years my junior, were working there in um, as barbacks, you name it. Oh. And um, when I was coming home from university, I worked there as... Um, okay, okay, okay. So you're a little bit older than yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I... A lot of guys who were... For some reason, it was a lot of scholarship athletes who were there. I don't know why. A lot of hockey players, too. Guys like... Um, gosh, who would you know? Rick Tockett used to come there a lot. 
Really? A um, few other guys who went to the NHL and so forth, some guys who played in the CFL and so forth. And so what we kind all, of a um, restaurant was Wizards? Just a roadhouse, but they had like, they turned into a bit of a, um, a nightclub after. Mm, okay, yeah, okay. so we'd do the door and stuff. And ah. so, so basically the dynamic there was <coughs> the younger kids and us used to have these like fun rap battles back and forth. And then after a number of weeks or whatever, they, um, the younger guys got markedly better. And I was curious to find out why. Yeah. And, um, and the reason for that was uh, they had consulted, if you will, <laughs> with um, a, a guy named Wes. And yeah. that's, that's how I first met Meister, actually. Yeah, he, yeah. So he was a chicken wing cook there. No way. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. I wish I knew that like two years ago. <laughs> how long ago? I wish I knew that two years ago. We sat down. We did the same sort of oh, interview. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know. I knew about Parkway Mall. Right, and, and, working, and working there as a security guard, mm-hmm. but because uh, that's literally just down the street from where I live right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but before I want to get back to uh, to Wes, uh, what what uh, you, what university did you go to? University of South Florida in Tampa. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What were you studying? Played stu- soccer down there. Okay. Nice. Scholarship. Degrees in finance. Ah. Okay. Okay. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you came back. Did you play soccer professionally at all? Or yeah, well, it was semi-pro technically. It yeah. Wasn't pro like Europe or anything. But yeah, okay. Yeah, I played a pretty high level relative to what was available here. Fair enough. Um, so you find out that Wes is giving these young kids some rhymes? Yeah, kids, his friends. They're yeah. all friends. <laughs> and, um, and then after I had got back to school and came home and graduated, he reached out to me mm-hmm. um, expressing his in- interest in getting a record deal and doing it professionally. And um, I offered my help um, as a friend, but he saw me. I guess he knew I, was, I had done parties, and so he he was he had a sense of my quote unquote business acumen. Yeah. So that's why he reached out to me, and I, I was absolutely interested in it as an entrepreneur. You know, things like that spark interest, and um, yeah, that's where it all began, my friend. What so what? And I, I'm I'm really curious. So I, now I understand why he reached out to you because I was curious, like what you know, just a random guy that he knew. No, no, no. Um, yeah, he from, knew from Wizards, he, but he knew you, that yeah. you were doing these club things and, yeah, and promoting and yeah, stuff like that. Exactly. And what did you think? Not in terms of West, but I guess more so. You're in Canada. Yeah. Um, you have a sense of what's happening in the music space. I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the Canadian? urban slash rap slash hip-hop scene like oh it's totally underground at that point it was very um it was very the, all the music the only music you would or place you could hear the music was on college radio um and through relatives okay and, and our relatives um in the states like if you had relatives whether it be new york or dc or detroit or whatever it is mm-hmm. Um, if you had relatives your age, that is, they would share with you this, this, their experiences, which would be through this new emerging genre of music called hip-hop. And, um, and then the four colleges here, you know, U of T, York, um, well, it pre- predominantly U of T, York, and, and Ryerson, which was a college at the time, um, had, had hip-hop shows. And, you know, college formats are very much like a roadmap to different genres of music. They don't have a one format. They have multiple yeah. formats. So the hip-hop shows on each of those stations were the biggest proponents of playing not just um, hip-hop music, but local hip-hop music. Okay. And a lot of that would be in the form of, because not a lot of people were, record, were recording. So rappers like Wes would show up and rhyme on the radio. Oh, okay. So without a tape, you just yeah, pick just up a mic Yeah, just rhyme on the radio, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so 
you, you agreed to do this. Was, did you agree to do this to help a friend, or did you sort of see, yeah, here's there's a both. real opportunity? Both, absolutely both. Yeah? yeah, he was a very, he had a very clear vision of his, um, what he wanted to do, why he wanted to do it, how he was going to do it, and um, that, that obviously is appealing. And then um, I was a fan of the music, fan of his music, mm-hmm. like lyrically especially, um, and it just made sense. Interesting. So business, it was a combination of business and appreciation for the yeah. art form. Tell me about was it was it the the meeting with Stevie B that sort of helped get uh, get the record deal? Well, no, it wasn't a meeting with Stevie B. What it was is uh, we were performing on um, Electric Circus, mm. and Stevie B was uh, a fa- the last guest on that particular day. We performed there twice. Okay. The first time we performed, just performed and got a lot of reaction. They called us back to perform a number of weeks later. Yeah. And on that particular show, Stevie B's interview followed our performance. And as we were leaving the building, he beckoned us to, to well, us, mainly me in terms of my role as Wes's manager. I went back and spoke to him, and he said that um, he was, he really liked our performance and the song, and that his label was in town, and he was performing, I think it was in Mississauga. I, can't, I was trying to remember the name of that club, I can't remember. <laughs> uh, not Wheelies, but something like that. And um, so I met with the label. They had heard, they were at the sh- Electric Circus performance too, excuse me, and uh, he. They literally offered us a single deal right then and there, um, fax via contract, the whole nine, and Wes and I spoke and we knew we wanted an album deal as opposed to a single deal, so we ended up going to New York um, with the demo we had and Wes actually performed the songs in their office and that's what really um, inspired the album deal. Wow. Yeah. Was there? I'm curious. Was there any trepidation in in saying no, not single? We want the full album. That you might miss out on it, or no, no. It was. We, you guys, knew, we knew what it would take to have an extended opportunity. You don't want to put all your eggs into this basket of one single when you have a talented artist, right? Mm. Because that that wouldn't make sense. So you shoot for the stars and end up. On a that is like somewhere. new for the both of you, like right. So there, there's yeah, no, very new. There's very no roadmap saying no. We got to do it this. No, way. there wasn't. But yeah. it, but that's where common business acumen or bis- common sense plus business acumen really um, was the roadmap. That you know, that's how yeah. we tra- blazed the trail. A, l- a lot of people call him the the Godfather of, of Canadian hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you see Meister Fresh West? Yeah, well, I mean, he bro, he was a trailblazer. So people are going to look at the person they see, they want to attribute the first to or with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that could be a blessing and not a curse necessarily, but hip-hop at that time wasn't moving at the rate that it is now. So, you know, being dubbed as anything that connotates old school is going to have an impact on your future, right? Mm-hmm. Um and it's like a prize fighter. You don't necessarily want to ever get out of the ring, but so, but you know you know it, to stay in the ring gets harder and harder. And with all you know the advent of the internet and accessibility being what it is, 100% accessibility to no YouTube's tagline. If it, I don't know if it still is, but it, at one point it was broadcast yourself. Yeah. Right. When you think of 30, 40 years ago, the idea of broadcasting yourself was impossible. Yeah. Literally. Right. Um, so the barrier to entry has been lowered so low that Toronto probably has 15,000 rappers in Toronto alone, mm. right? So when you try to carve out your territory, if you will, out of that reality, it, you, you, know, you have to be um, 
more than just having been around and all those other things, right? You have to really have some uh, consistent measure of success like in perpetuity, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, tell, me, tell me about, I don't know if I got it right or wrong, about um, you and your mom co-signing a loan to give to Maestro to help fund his video. Is that, yeah, is that well, he, and he funded it as okay, well. It yeah. Was, it was, um, yeah, I mean, I was dead broke at that time. You know, but but never feel I, I've never been mentally broke, yeah, right? Yeah. And I don't believe in that, right? Yeah. So, you know, um, my mom my mom supported us in that regard, and um, yeah, we created we did the first video with the, those quote unquote resources, and yeah, made it happen. Nice. Where, um, where's where's Canadian hip hop today? I, I know there's Drake, The Weeknd. Um, the Weeknd's not hip hop. He's R and B. R and B. But okay. Um, people merge and, yeah. and, and yeah, people outside the culture, right? <laughs> not okay. that you are, but people outside the culture um, try to meld it into one thing, R&B yeah, yeah, and yeah. hip-hop are not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And some people say that Drake, I mean, I, th I think I heard Drake doesn't want to be considered rap anymore or something like that. Well, he may, when he raps, he'll be considered a rapper. When he sings, he'll be considered a R&B or a pop artist, whatever yeah, yeah. genre. I'm not sure what genre he considers his singings records. He, yeah. But, um, they're not hip hop in their sure, sure. sound feel, um, in my opinion. What do you, What are your thoughts about Canadian? Canadian, you know, regardless of those two specific artists, yeah. like you said, there might be thousands. There probably are thousands of rappers just yeah, thousands. In, in Toronto. Where, in your opinion, is the is 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 the uh, is the scene today? I, I think it's a, it's in a good place from the standpoint of the resilience. Um, but one of my clear understandings that I try to impart on people is that, you know, just like if you compare cocaine to crack, cocaine was a, a leisure, luxury type lifestyle drug. Crack was an economic opportunity. I think mm -hmm. hip hop has become an economic opportunity more so than just an art form. It's still art, but, it, but it's highly dependent on economic opportunity, highly dependent on the marginalized, how marginalized the community that it emanates out of is. Um, how politically um, you know, or socioeconomically disparaged the community is, you're going to look for, because um, th that impacts a lot of things. It impacts education, it impacts parenting, it impacts role models, etc. You're living in an environment where you have to find a niche that is that you can ha hang on to and say, this is how I'm going to survive. And this you, is my way out. Sort the, of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, way out, way up, way, yeah, way yeah. anything, exactly. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, entertainment, sports, and crime ha have been those three things for certain communities for centuries. Like, well, certainly since the abolition of slavery. Interesting, man. I wish I was prepared. I maybe dive dive deep into that. So, so are you saying like today, um, the I don't know popularity, I guess, uh, of hip hop is in direct is is a direct result on the creative side. On the creative side, not on the, the consumption side. Right? Okay. The people who consume it are people from all walks of life, all cultures, all neighborhoods, etc. Yeah, yeah. But the people who create it predominantly, not exclusively, but sure. predominantly, yeah. right? Um, that's why you know, when you look at the correlation between crime and hip-hop, there's a heavy correlation because of the correlation between poverty and crime. Hmm. Right? So yeah. if you have poverty, you're going to get crime. If you have poverty, you're going to get lower dimensions of interest and dreaming, etc., etc., the, the more the lower hanging fruits of success that are propagated through media are going to influence your choices tremendously because you have fewer choices right you may not have been um, 
exposed to really great teachers. That's an aspect of poverty as well. Yeah. The worst teachers go to the worst neighborhoods. Yeah. That's, you know, they, they won't admit that, but it's true. Um, the, if you're being deficiently educated, your options and success stories are going to be few and further between. Um, but the, the, the things that are celebrated as success within that dynamic are going to be blown out of proportion. Like, yeah, like I'm going to be a rapper. The probability of being a successful rapper is like one in a million, mm -hmm. right? But, I, you know, the probability of it being a doctor is like 70 in a 100. Yeah. 70% chance, easily. Yeah. Right? Or even if you go by grades, it's an 80% chance. <laughs> Interesting. You know, so, so you're not going to get a lot of those types of... Um, that type of broad-based representation in the black community when the black community is marginalized and there's anti-black racism, there's all sorts of stuff beyond just poverty, mm -hmm. right? Um, there's been no effort to apologize for slavery, like Justin Trudeau and his, all those people and the Queen uh, don't give a rat's ass about, about black people in the real way, mm. right? They, you know, they'll say it in a speech, uh, they, I mean, in terms of social programs and all that stuff, but, yeah. but there still has been zero accountability for the transatlantic slave trade, almost zero accountability for what's happening to our indigenous brothers and sisters, right? Mm. And, uh, and you look, if you look at all the lists of concern in society, blacks and native people are at the bottom of every list, or the top, depending on what question you ask. So how do you, how do you look at... Uh, I know it's March now, but how do you look at um, Black History Month? No, I look at it as obviously an opportunity to educate what is not being educated, mm. right, in terms of availability and awareness. Like my friend here may not know anything about the black community yeah. if he hasn't been exposed to it directly. Yeah. And he probably didn't learn it in school, yeah. right, Be outside of if he went to school here, you know, um, he probably knew there was this thing called Black History Month. Yeah. But it doesn't tell you. And, and, and the other thing is the history starts with slavery. <laughs> nine, nine, nine times out of ten, that's where they start. And it's interesting. Like, it yeah. can't, like you know, so I was educated here. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that I recall learning about black history mm -hmm. uh, was the Underground Railroad. Exactly, which right? is slave-related, really. Yeah, which, which is slave-related. But it paints, uh, to, to, I think to your point, it paints Canada as this was the beacon, right? This is where... Not at all. Canada had slavery slaves. just like the U.S. did. Yeah, but, but you're not... Like, you're not taught that. Exactly. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right? So everybody tells his story, Yeah. right? But they don't tell mm -hmm. her story or their story. Yeah. So tell me, if, wow. If, if there was... If, if Justin was sitting here... Yeah. And you could tell him one thing, like... Apologize. Could, as a country, not mm -hmm. as Justin. Okay. Because he himself has nothing to do with it. Yeah. But the fair, country fair. needs to apologize. And with that apology comes accountability. Yeah. Apology is when you write, you're trying to right a wrong. Yeah. You, you, regret, you have regret for what you've been involved with as a country. Yeah. Right? Not as Justin Trudeau, the, the husband and father. Hmm. Right? I'm talking about the, the, as a as leader a country, of a country. As a country, yeah, yeah, yeah. Leader of a country, you apologize for what you've subjected a people to yeah. and what you've purported and, and, and supported and uh, perpetuated mm -hmm. and it's still being prepared you go into the prisons and 75 percent of the people are black it, and when only we only make up like in this province or we're i think we're surrounded by six percent of the population what are we doing filling up all the jails it's not just bad behavior yeah. <laughs> i was talking to i don't know if you know michael thompson he's yeah uh, very very well yeah, yeah. 
Um, so I, I was sitting down with him in his office a couple of weeks ago, maybe not even that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, you're still the only black guy in council. And he said he's, he's always been the only black guy in council. And, and then I was thinking, I wonder if there's anyone in the Ontario legislature and I wonder if there's anybody in well, Ottawa. Well, there was when the, the Liberals were in government, Mitzi Hunter and... Um, That's right. And Michael Coteau. And That's there, there right. Been, there There's been, been a few. But, but, but those are so few and far between, and, and all generally end up on the Liberal side of things, which is also a mistake from a community standpoint. Hmm. I think there should be representation at every... In every party. Yeah. Liberal doesn't mean pro-black. Liberal means liberal. PC doesn't mean pro-white. It means PC, hmm. right? So we should be... Represented on a, some as close to per capita as possible, yeah. or higher, sure, right? Sure. Everywhere where decisions are made that impact a, a, your your population, yeah. You know, like there there Asian PCs, Asian liberals, there are Asian yeah. South Asians. I mean, PC South Asians and PC liberals, yeah, and NDPers or what have yeah. you, yeah. Right. So, That's so true, isn't we it? need representation on all fronts, and when you start to think independently, right, as opposed to being pigeonholed into a box. Right, your 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 appreciation for what politics is as a tool will expand, and you'll say, okay, I align more with that than I do with this. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But if you just think that oh, I vote for him because there's more black people in the Liberal Party, I'm going to vote for them. It doesn't work like that. You have to understand the issues, understand economics, especially, understand socioeconomics, um, and understand the way people think. I don't. I that's why I don't pay homage to any particular party. Mm-hmm. I look at just like I think actions speak louder than words and intent um, is more important than actions. Like, I want to know what somebody intended to do, yeah. right? If you intended to be racist or biased or whatever it is, I've got a different type of issue with you than if you act racist or biased. Mm. You understand? Fair enough, Because yeah. I don't know, quite frankly, I don't know if John Tory's ever had a black person at his dinner table. Really? I don't, no, I'm saying I don't know that. Okay, okay, yeah, I'd yeah, like yeah. to know, but yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. Yeah. Right? I don't know how he feels if a black guy with dreads walks in and says, I'm dating your daughter. I don't know that. Mm-hmm. I know what he says on the podium, yeah. but I don't know intrinsically that white Canada and Asian Canada and South Asian Canada and everybody else, I don't know how they, people deeply feel about black people. Mm. Uh, and that's a fact. right? People can get on a podium and say anything they want, like a singer. A singer can think about love but yeah. be full of hate. But how they act and, and what they yeah. do. That's you know, really this, if Jagmeet Singh's daughter brings home, a, a, you know, Jerome from Malvern, is he fully mm-hmm. embracing of that? I don't know. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right? So those, those issues never get discussed because nobody wants to actually heal the wound. Greed supersedes everything else. They can talk about Justin Trudeau and the SNC-Lavalin thing yeah. all day long, right? But there are a lot deeper issues in this country and all countries, quite frankly, as it relates to race and economic disparity and the social determinants of health and all those really important things mm-hmm. that are not equal in a country like Canada. Yeah. You don't get equal access, you know? Like, you know, the probability of having a black premier, what is that, one in four billion? Or is it one in same ratio that uh, Doug Ford that had? anyone, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You got to think about those things because that affects, affects employment promotions like you go to the call center at rogers and bell it looks like united nations on the ground floor that is so true but go up the elevator yeah go up the elevator and what do you find and that affects you me and him yeah you know what i'm saying yeah what's the probability of having a, an asian premier might even be lower than black yeah. you never know 
how do we so you talked about apologizing and mm-hmm. um, the apology is just so you know it's not an apology just to hear one it's a, it's a, it's the accountability that comes with it there's steps to be yeah, taken yeah what if i say to you if i bump your knee and i say sorry yeah. it means i didn't mean to do it yeah. you understand what i'm saying yeah. so i want to hear what didn't you mean to do in terms of enslaving black people yeah. in terms of you know not upkeeping the neighborhoods where black people live in terms of you know um, the bias in employment, um, bias in education, teachers who are, like I have, I manage an artist whose sister is a straight A student and her guidance counselor convincing her, she wants, the, the young lady wants to be a cosmetic surgeon, okay. the guidance counselor is convincing her daily almost to be an early childhood educator. What's the correlation? I want to be a cosmetic surgeon. Why are you telling me to take, take, oh, take, take applied um, child care like, what the, what the hell is that all about? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Like, and this is, that, that's one example of thousands in, this, in the GTA. Yeah. They're in Brampton, but in the GTA. Thousands of young black people who, have, or who are equally as talented, equally as brilliant, subject to whatever deficiencies their life have had, mm-hmm. that are not getting an equal opportunity to achieve. Wow. You know? You That's mentioned it. that you're very, that you're managing an artist right now. Yeah, so I manage a couple few artists. Okay, yeah. so you're still involved in the, in the, in the oh, music. Oh yeah, heavily. Yeah, that's half my life. Okay, half is community, half is entertainment, okay. and they integrate quite often. Okay, so still within within the the hip hop field of music, or uh, um, no, not no. I've got an artist from um, a place you've never heard of. If you say you've been there, then I know you weren't at Roller Palace. Have you ever heard of Matthias Ontario? No. Okay, so Matthias is. <laughs> About <laughs> Matthias is about, um, I think it's about an hour and change from Capus Casing, which you may have heard of. I've heard the name, yeah. Okay, Capus <laughs> Casing is up north of Thunder Bay. Jeez. Right? Or somewhere thereabouts. But yeah. so, anyway. So this person is an hour even further? Yeah, she lives very far up north. Her name's okay. Whitney Otis. And indigenous she's, artist? She's or? a singer songwriter. No, she's not indigenous. Okay. She's actually Fran- bilingual, okay. but uh, father's francophone, mother's anglophone. Okay. And um, she is a prolific singer-songwriter. Um, I like to say she's Joni Mitchell meets Morris, uh, uh, oh, Alanis Morissette. Okay. If there was a hybrid of the two or some sort of merged, merged um, identity. Excuse me. Now, how does somebody from way up there get connected to you? Well, I was judging a, um, a talent competition that she was in. Oh, okay, okay. Right, that I, I do a particular talent competition every year that I'm involved with. And um, she won and was literally heading home to a town of 650 people. Jeez. Right, and um, I didn't want. I didn't think that was fair to her. Right, hmm. and um, so that's how I started working with her. And I've got a 14-year-old kid of Jamaican heritage um, in Brampton, uh, named Ryan Douglas, grade nine. Uh, Whitney's just finished high school. She's 19 tomorrow, actually, and um, well, tomorrow in interview time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, he's quite talented. He won the CNE Rising Star competition and several other things. He's sung in front of... What kind of music massive. is... He's R&B soul. Okay. Oh, yeah. wow. And with, How with old is he? 14. For, and he's doing soul music? Yeah, Jeez. he absolutely is. Yeah, he's fantastic. Wow. Yeah, he's fantastic. Nice. Mm-hmm. I, I heard you on uh, CBC Metro Morning two days ago. Yesterday morning. Was it, that was yesterday. Did Matt Galloway? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Talking about Michael Jackson. Yeah. Um, where, where are we with, with that? Where, should, so where am we, I or where's the world? Let me ask where you are. I'm where, sitting down with you. Where I am is, again, we don't, we're scared to heal. If anybody's a doctor, you have to understand 
how the wound happened, mm. right? And if you start off with how it healed or, how, or what the scar looks like, you're not really a, a good doctor in my mind. To me, he was, he, if, if somebody could say to me definitively Michael Jackson was not a victim at some point in his life, yeah. I'd say, okay, prove it. Like, yeah. I, it's impossible that guy, you, let's just look at it entertainment-wise. At seven years old, this guy was performing two-hour concerts with multiple dance routines, lead singer of most of, or if not all, the songs yeah. at seven years old. How did you, is that just his own inherent discipline? Mm-hmm. Or was somebody disciplining him in order to make that happen? That's putting it out there, yeah. right? What kind of childhood do you have when you're doing that? Mm-hmm. Whether you're self-disciplined or not, what kind of childhood do you have? Um, when you're, when it's purported that your older brothers are having sex in the hotel room and you're seven years old trying to sleep, and they're, this is whatever, call it hearsay, whatever, but let's entertain the possibility. How does that impact you psychologically about sexuality, about boyhood, which you really don't have, no. et cetera, et cetera? You've got to think about all those things. Um, I'm never, ever going to under empathize how a victim would f- feels in terms of the, the young men that he he um, is, again, I think it's still alleged, I don't know, if yeah. what to be, I'll use that word just to be safe, yeah. um, uh, that he allegedly abused, right? But we have to look beyond the action. And I don't care whether it's Bruce MacArthur or Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy, oh, these people are always, for some reason, are troubled people before they commit their first act. Mm-hmm. So society's missing its role in healing people who are who are wounded, and then when they there's a saying, hurt people hurt people, yeah. right? So so where I stand now in terms of what the public can to, can do or choose to do, people are saying, oh, take his records off the radio. Da, 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 da. Why not take that those funds, excluding whatever the publisher owns and the record company might own, but anything that would have been directed to him or R. Kelly's estate, right? Redirected to um, re- child abuse rehabilitation. Keep it, leave, don't play it extra, yeah. but play it like you would have played it. Yeah. And, but tip, all the proceeds go to helping youth, young people, of all, not just the people they abuse, but all young people who've been abused, yeah. and, and help them rehabilitate. Because the funding for rehabilitation also is not that um, easily accessible. Hmm. Like, you know, um, I heard um, Jim Richards on News Talk 1010. 10, yeah, yeah. He said that um, there's research that shows that a, a, a high percentage, I can't remember the percentage, so don't quote me, but a high percentage of homeless people were abused as children. Okay. Look at that. Yeah. There's, there's a doctor, um, Nadine Burke-Harris, who's a black woman from Vancouver, but she, I think she works in the Bay Area, San Fran or Oakland, and she's one of the major experts on what they call ACEs, which is Adverse Childhood Experience Syndrome. And she correlates... She correlates abuse and, 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 and well, extreme adverse situations. Mm-hmm. She co- correlates them with um, sickness and, and um, high-risk behavior and so forth. Right? There's a direct correlation. Interesting. Right? So anything as simple as divorce can impact a particular child in a monstrous way. Where some kids like me, when my dad left, I was like, I, just, I can't really say it impacted me. You know what I mean? I know it impacted my older brother and my sister yeah. and my younger brother, but for me, it just didn't. You know? I mean, I, I try to correlate things, but I don't really see a direct connection between his absence, because I'm a good father, I believe, mm-hmm. right? 
I was a reasonably good ex-husband, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. yeah. But but let's look at the real, the root of the problem, so we can recognize who is the current Michael Jackson that may end up creating those um, allegedly creating those egregious acts, right? Yeah. We should we should be thinking about that because it probably can be avoided. Interesting. Yeah. There you go. You know what I'm saying? Interesting. Like R. Kelly said he was abused too. His brothers and sisters said they were abused as kids. Yeah. Same thing. So you're so, not excusing necessarily the no, act. No, no. I want trying uh, understanding. It's not blame. It's explain. It's an explain game, not a blame game. Blame game, right? So, so I look at that and I think, wow. And then I look at, um, I look at this whole notion. Are people really going to like? There's going to be a wedding somewhere in this city on Saturday. DJ plays, beat it. Does everybody run off the dance floor and say you're fired? To the DJ? Interesting. Or do they dance to the song and then the conversation might come up at the yeah. table after? But are they, like, are we, are we focused enough to take a side and say, I'm never, ever entertaining anything that's associated with Michael Jackson. I'm throwing my glove out. I'm throwing my leather jacket out. I'm throwing out my poster. Um, you know, and that's just, I'm just asking. I'm just curious. Right? I don't think we are. I, I don't think we are to, yeah. en masse either. Yeah. Some people will if they have a direct connection with the issue, sure. but most people won't. Yeah. Um, you know, R. Kelly's, you know, I, I believe I can fly. Are we, are you, would you bet whether or not that's been sung in a church somewhere in North America oh, or in the last two weeks? Goodness. I, you never know. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. Because somebody's singing it for a different, me- their own meaning. Right? So is the art... The man and the man, the art. And then what about our mm. friends, David Bowie, Mick Jagger, uh, Andy, Woody Allen, all these guys who, who were pedophiles in their own way, right? And nobody talks about it. So now we got to go into the race factor, right? Mm. El- you know, whoever it is, like, there are a lot of guys who went through Hollywood. I mean, you're hearing about all the Weinstein, or I call it the wine list, right? <laughs> but you're hearing all this stuff. But t- think about it, right? My root analysis of this is as an as a lay person is that you give power to anybody who's insecure you've got problems that's my theory harvey weinstein couldn't get a date in grade grade eight to go to the, to the grade eight prom right so now you give him 900 oh he earns 900 million or whatever he's worth right plus he's still pissed off at every girl he ever saw he still can't get who, a date who wouldn't go, and yeah. well yeah he can't get a date you know like in the traditional way right so if he still got that unhealed wound that I'm talking about from 14, 13, 12 years old, where he's freckled and he's a great student, probably straight A's in English, everything to do with law, right? But at the end of the day, Susie, the girl who likes the football quarterback, pays him no mind on a daily basis in the hallway. Mm-hmm. So, he's, so it's pain. That's pain. If you when you feel ostracized in any I don't care how you feel ostracized but ostracization is pain unless you're really really resilient yeah. right so Harvey Weinstein Dustin Hoffman you name it all of them Kevin Spacey all of them so you got to go back to puberty or earlier and say what were they like then mm-hmm. how solid of a human being were they then cuz if they get all that money and they've got unhealed wounds you're running into problems I will I will go on record and say I'd love to see the stats on that. Yeah. Heal, you can't give power to, un, to wounded people yeah. and, on any level. How do you, st- like, is, is there a solution to that? Yeah, it's just pay attention to people. Like, if you have children, talk to your children. 
Yeah. Right? To get a sense of your children. You know, what are you doing? Are you, are, do you want to have a birthday party? No, Dad, I don't have any friends. That's a sign right there. Yeah. Why? How could a 12-year-old not have any friends yeah. in this type of society? Sure. So if your if kids say, if your son says, um, I don't want to have a birthday party, I have no friends, and you just say, okay, we'll go to Wonderland or whatever you want to say. Like, it's, ah, come on. You know what I'm saying? Or your daughter, your daughter starts to dress in a particular way, and it looks like it's more self-esteem associated than it is whole esteem. Mm-hmm. You know, like from a holistic standpoint. Yeah. You know, you got to pay attention to these things. Wow. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And, 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 and when you have parents who don't know raising kids, parenting's a skill. It's not a right. No, no, it's no, not no. a biological circumstance. It's hard you work, have, man. <laughs> it, it, it's a skill. Yeah. And where's the, where's the parenting, parental training in, in our communities? Some of us learn it through our own parents, mm-hmm. thank goodness. But what about the people who didn't have good parents who become parents? <laughs> so you're perpetuating a negative, you, you know, like people wonder why Aboriginal people are in the circumstances they're in. Yeah. It's a perpetuated, unhealed residential school experience. That is so true. Let me just take a quick break to upgrade my parking. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. I forgot to do that. What's it? 90, what is it? 60, 90 something, 17? Right outside here? 8911. Yeah. Do you ever struggle, uh, Farley, with um, the artist and the art? No, because I, I think about those things all the time, right? I think about those things all the time. Yeah. Turn, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, the artist and the artist, the man and his music, same yeah, thing, right? Yeah. So, you know, you know, when you isolate Michael Jackson's music from his, purported, his alleged behavior, right, you've got, you've got to go to things like, we are the world, you got to go to um, heal the world. You got to go to songs like that and say, "Is that the same person that that is abusing children allegedly?" Right? Or can we separate that? Should we take "We Are the World" where they raise millions of dollars for poverty, yeah. hundreds of millions? Do we take that off the record to get you know? And like, oh, we got to take all that money back, folks. UNICEF, sorry, can we get our eighty million back? Because the guy who wrote it is a pedophile. Hmm. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's almost like the Shakespeare and Bible thing, right? Shakespeare apparently. Tell me about that. Shakespeare apparently was a homosexual, but he wrote but he rewrote part of the King James Bible for for King whatever his name was. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's one of the scribes that rewrote the um he's one of the seventeen scribes that rewrote the King James version of the Bible. Right? Christians are generally speaking homophobic. Generally speaking. Yeah. So do we take that chapter out of the Bible out of the Bible? Oh, we can't have that. We got to think differently. Like, I don't know how. I'm not suggesting a way to think, yeah. but we have to think differently. That is so interesting, man. You know what I'm saying? That is so interesting. I'm trying to figure out how do I get from what we're talking about, which is really like important, <laughs> deep stuff, back to to talking about flow. Well, we can talk five. about flow. flow but but it's flow is the same thing. But it's like yeah, because yeah. I'm curious. Like it took what a, over, more than 10 twelve years? years to get the license, right? Yeah. So is that is that just like how could you? 
black music and black culture is the most popular culture on the planet. Yeah. And that's a that's a from a numerical analysis to an opinion. Yeah. Everything in between. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. All the, ch- the, the if, especially now with the internet, kids are living vicariously through black culture, like beyond belief. I agree. Right? So, so when you say that, even if you're not arguing in the black, the black um, aspect of things, you're just arguing music that will do well on the radio. Let's keep it at that. Doesn't matter where it comes from. Yeah. Music that will, and you deny it. The, the only thing you can actually be denying is black ownership. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Because remember, we're talking 1988 to 2000 was the timeline of the effort. So now you go back to 1980, you've got Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, uh, Roberta Flack, uh, Smokey Robinson, like, the, 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 you know, anybody, Stevie Wonder, like Bob Marley, and you're going to say, oh, well, we're not sure if this music really belongs on Canadian radio. Think about that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a racist perspective. Yeah. yeah. You can't deny it. The, and all those acts I just named, the people who purchase their music... Is everybody. It's non-black people buy it more than black people do. Yeah. I've got Winnie Houston. I've got Michael Jackson. I've got Prince. So, so, so what's the rationale? Yeah. Why are you stopping it? Why are you blocking it? What did you hear? Why, why, why were they stopping it? No, I just told you. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> but did they tell you? Like, no, of course. What, what were the reasons? They They're not going to tell you that. <laughs> they just so we see. They'll, they'll, they'll find a reason. They'll find maybe a glitch in your in your application, mm-hmm. right? And make it blow it up as a larger issue than it probably was. They look for other. other uh, but you know, in fairness to the CRTC, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, cast any shadows on them. You know, you need to. You know, your business plan. All those things have room for subjectivity. And that's what you're subject to. Yeah. Right? But at the end of the day, let's be real. Yeah. When did, when did you stop working with Flo? Uh, the second year of Canadian Idol. The second year of Canadian Idol. So, so how, like, 2004. How, 2004. So like four years. So after four years. Yeah. Three and okay. a half-ish, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts? Because I have to double check. I go, is it still Flo? It is and, again. And so are they f- still playing? No, no. What happened was Flo operated, then got sold to Chum. Uh, Chum got bought by Bell. The CRTC only allows a certain amount of FM frequencies in a market. Mm-hmm. So Bell had to unleash one of their stations. They unleashed Flow, and it was bought by a company from Newfoundland called Newcap. And Newcap just recently got up, bought up by Stingray. And Sting, under the Newcap-Stingray transition, part of the business plan was to revert the brand back to Flow. Mm-hmm. So Newcap changed it to the move. Ah, right? Yeah. And, and same frequency, 93.5. And, th- and then they recently reverted it back. Right? It's only three weeks now. Or, or, if okay, that, okay. That they've reverted. But they're like, you, yeah, it got more mainstream, more yeah. dancey, of top 40-ish. But now with their hip-hop it's identified station again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, it's funny. It's, it's interesting that they went back to the roots now. Yeah, because it was, they had no identity, right? Oh. You need an identity... It's better to fail with an identity than to fail without one. The move? One. Like, what, what is that? <laughs> no, the move is fine. If yeah. there's dancing, if it's dance-related and top 40 rhythmic music, mm. the, having dance, the, have, the move is not a bad name. Yeah. Right? Um, and it's semi-hip, but it's, it's, not, it's not flow, like in terms of flow was born out of the hip-hop characteristic being able to flow. Yeah. Right, and then wow. uh, and then the the there were several underlying meanings um, the, to flow from genre to genre within the the realm of black music. Yeah. So you could play Bob Marley right beside Big Daddy Kane, right beside um, 
Stevie Wonder, right? And and nobody's gonna be like, ah, oh, I'm complaining because the, the music is just that good. Yeah. <coughs> where where are we with with uh, with uh, with hip hop and, and and rap and R and B in terms of radio play these days? I know radio in and of itself seems to be a still still. If you look at the popularity of music relative to its accessibility on radio, but mm-hmm. they, but understand the young, the youth demographic don't listen. To they radio. don't listen to radio. So they're they're it's on Spotify, Spotify and yeah. whatever, and some of them might download the iHeartRadio stuff like that, but not too many. Yeah. Um, so Spotify gives you and iTunes and all that stuff gives you an opportunity to or Apple Music gives you an opportunity to choose your create your own playlist. Yeah. And um, you know you don't have to worry about commercials or anything else. So. Yeah. That flies right in the face of radio, but the people who do still do listen to radio and do want to hear, whether it be old school hip hop, whatever, it's still very few outlets for it. Yeah. Besides flow, like where, what other stations could someone dial Maybe up? G ninety eight in Toronto. Which one is that? G ninety eight point seven. Ninety eight point seven. All right. Yeah. It's, uh, um, um, it's owned by Fitzroy Gordon. It's a black owned station. Why does that name ring a bell? Yeah, because he's he's the he's the it's CXFG. He Fitzroy Gordon's the FG. He's he owns the station. Fitzroy Gordon was he in boxing or something like that? No, back in that no. name he was sounds. On radio. Yeah, he that, was on Chin or something. That name is yes. Doctor Love or something. That They're name not is Dr. Love, so whatever. so familiar. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, Canadian Idol. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a huge show. Yeah, it was quite successful. Yeah. yeah. Um, did that did that change? Like I, I don't know if it changed your life or anything, but what did that mean to you? What did that was it? Six, seven seasons? Six seasons. Six seasons. Oh, three to oh eight. Yeah. What, inclusive. What did? Uh, how did yeah. that impact yourself? Oh, it gave me a, a, it increased my love for Canada, a geographic love wow. for Canada. Okay. Um, it increased my bank account. <laughs> um, it increased my presence i parlayed that into a lot of community development i do a lot of work with indigenous communities as well mm-hmm. so it, it really um cast my name out there in a wide kind of way I, I was able to do public speaking um community development work etc cetera, etc cetera. i still it's like having a hit song i still benefit from having been on idol nice right now yeah. it's 10 years later 11 that's weird it just seems like yesterday that it was canceled yeah. Do you know why it was canceled? Yeah, it was canceled because um, there was an economic downturn in 2008, okay. um, which was synonymous with the, I believe, the second year of the same entity owning or having the rights for So You Think You Can Dance, which didn't have remotely the numbers our show had, viewership-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, we were also, as judges, up for a renewal, so, oh. so that would have increased the budget as well. Yeah. So they put us on hiatus for a year was the intent, and then it never came back because the economy didn't come back in time. Yeah. Interesting. You say that you, you, you're involved and you talk a lot with about, about indigenous rights and stuff like that. Um, why are you attracted to that yourself? Well, as, as a descendant of the transatlantic slave trade, my association with my indigenous culture, especially back when I first started doing this kind of work, which is pre-internet and all that stuff, having access um, was not a readily available thing, Right. Just wasn't it just wasn't there close at hand, but like I said, I lived in Edmonton f- while I was from six till eight or five till seven. Um, and it, the weirdest things happened to me, but one of them is in a positive way is um, you know when we were touring, uh, we'd walk down um, 
Portage Avenue in Winnipeg or Jasper Avenue or whatever in Edmonton. Um, there, you know, indigenous people who were often, some, some of whom were out on the streets, would always say, hey, you know, we're brothers, right? They would always, re and even if I was walking with five other people, they'd, they'd reach out to me, probably because I exuded, an, uh, uh, not sympathy, but empathy, right? Um, always. So mm -hmm. they connected with me, I think, spiritually, quite frankly. And it, as it turns out, I was uh, spiritually adopted by, I have a Cree sister that I was spiritually adopted into her family mm. based on the work I do in Alberta, right? So her father spiritually adopted me into their culture. And I got my eagle feather and all that wonderful stuff. And um, But she and I are as close as my, me and my sister are in terms of... Um, She's a PhD in education, so we do. She brings me out to do workshops, and I develop work, student engagement workshops, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm out there at least twice a year doing stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when they used to come to you and say, you know, we're brothers, like, what did did that? Were you like, why is he saying that? Like, I think it was an indigenous spiritual spiritual recognition. Huh. You know what I'm saying? Like two people who connected based on vibe, quite frankly. Yeah. You know. Um, if you sit down with, with indigenous people who are in touch with themselves, like heritage-wise, yeah. it'll blow your mind. It'll, oh, yeah. 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 Like I, I have a, a brother um, who I met through Tracy as well. Uh, she, he is what's called a runner. So his family, when the, when the quote-unquote Indian Affairs Ministers came along with the priests and so forth to take the kids away to residential schools, his father ran with his kids into the hills, in the Ojibwe foothills and... So he's never been formally educated. He's Ojibwe uh, Foothill, and that's the name of the, the tribe, in, in Ojibwe Foothill and Cree educated exclusively. So he's considered a knowledge keeper, right? So this guy will walk through wow. a park and, like, tell you, oh, that'll, that'll be good for your cough that you have, like, the plants and stuff. Like, it's, it's, yeah. it's mind-blowing. Yeah. Real deal. He cured himself for cancer and stuff. Like, I'm talking real deal, mm. right? He's... Um, he slept, I think, if, don't quote me, but I think he slept on the forest floor from the age of 3 to 17. Hmm. Talk about resilient. Yeah. And he's still with us. Wow. He's now 70-something years old. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's the connection for me. It's just, just a genuine grassroots, you know, um, indigenous and I guess you could say almost for me sub-indigenous connection. Right? Yeah. Um, I've been to Africa five times and it's been the most Where rewarding. in Africa have you been? Um... Ghana, Sierra Leone, Kenya, Togo, uh, Malawi, and South Africa. That's six. I remember six. going to, um, I had the privilege of going to South Africa. We were in East Africa, mm -hmm. um, and my wife uh, had a friend from university that was living in uh, Joburg. Yeah. Uh, and I remember landing in Joburg and coming out to the airport, and I go, this doesn't look like Africa. <laughs> to yeah. me like it's very different well yeah well remember the, it's remember a huge who, continent but remember who tells the story mm. again right when I show kids pictures of Lagos right Nigeria they say oh that's Chicago like because the media tells you that it's naked women with droopy breasts in grass skirts and and like whatever you know like they they, 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 they primitize us if, you, if that's a word yeah. right um, again microaggression, anti-black racism. Like, you know, Napoleon defaced the Sphinx and all those great achievements that black people made because he didn't want to accept that we could be that great. But almost everything on this planet emanates out of Africa. Yeah. 
I was actually looking at it in a different way. South. I looked at South Africa as, as um, because it was dominated by the Dutch. Well, I think. Oh, you right? went, how long ago did you go? Uh, uh, World Cup. So I was there when the World Cup was there. What year was that? That was around. Two thousand and two thousand and six, seven, eight, two thousand ten. Yeah. Maybe. So, like, even just think of that statement. It was. It was the Dutch. I mean, the Dutch were some of the, the most evil um, mm. colonizers. As yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, very like horrid, mm. like the Congo, Belgium, the Belgium Congo um, uh, colonization, South Africa, obviously, um, yeah, some severe, severe ramifications. Um, not only, I mean, I, they were all terrible, British, Portuguese, Spanish, all of them were terrible, but mm. yeah, so yeah, but now, I mean, Nelson Mandela, the reason he's one of my actual heroes is because he. Number one, he took a peaceable approach. Number two, you know, they, they just reverted the land laws, right? Land. No. Oh, yeah. No, there's no... Interesting, but which, that should happen here, too, for indigenous people. Where is it going to happen? I doubt it. Wow. That's what I'm trying to say. The apology can't just be words. It's interesting you say that. So I, I did a... Um, I did, uh, I, I did a, um, a land acknowledgement. Yeah. Uh, a few... Uh, I do them at every event. And last, I last week. And it was interesting. So I shared that with um, uh, an indigenous friend of mine, Jay Soul. Yeah. Goes by, you know him? Uh, yeah, goes uh, by the name Chippewa. Okay. Um, he's an artist, Queen, Queen West. He's got, a, he's got a studio. He does tattoos, paintings. Okay. Uh, different things like that. And so he was on the podcast a couple of times. And I asked him about, you know, land acknowledgments mm-hmm. because, um, you know, my son told me they do them at school now. Yeah. Um, and I, I was like, wow, that's amazing. Um, and so I asked him about that, and he was like, it's, he says it's, it's, it's missing a lot. And he was talking to me about the, the thing that it's missing is you can say, I acknowledge I'm on this land, but that's all you're saying. Like, okay, what's the next step? Yeah, exactly. And so he told me, he said, here's what I would do. If you, if you want to do it with the way I, and he said, it's just his opinion, do this. And he shared with me, you know, so you do your land acknowledgement, you know, you know the territory where, you know, historically mm-hmm. who it belongs to <coughs> and such. And then he said, the land has literally been taken away. Yeah. Right? And he says, you know, taxes and uh, the mining and everything, all of this money that the government has made has not been properly shared, you know, with, with the original mm-hmm. landowners. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, if you want to share, if you want to say you acknowledge it, then the next step is, okay, what are you going to do now? Yeah, exactly. Right? And it's about repatriation of, of, of land, of, of resources, um, and not kicking anybody off like you said they've done. They haven't kicked anybody out, but it's like, okay, now we need to change. You know, we, we said, we've said sorry, and now here's how we're going to now it, mm-hmm. uh, enact that apology. Um, so it's interesting that you, that you say that, and that's what we should do. Yeah, well, like when I do land acknowledgments, I also include people who are brought here against their will. Mm. Right, so I do the indigenous part, and then I, do the, I include people who are brought here against their will as well. Yeah. I'm not supposed to be here. What am I doing here? Mm. Like when I say me, my, my family tree. Yeah, yeah. Right? That is so true. Yeah, I always wonder. I, like, I know why we're here. We got kicked out. But, you know, it's like I, I need to, my skin color says I need to be somewhere warm. Yeah, no, as yeah, well, yeah, you know just somewhere where you want to be. Yeah, yeah. Where you should be. Yeah, fair enough. You know what I'm saying? Fair enough. Like tell there's, me, there's tell a me. reason why Nigerians succeed in the way they do. It's because they're very, they're very empowered people. Right? 
Tell me about that. They've never been colonized, really, in any real... I didn't know that. Yeah, Ghanaian, same thing. Like, there's a reason for that. And if you look now, and now that they're choosing to come to America of their own volition, right, you're seeing them pop up in all the leagues and on There's as many doctors, per capita, let's say. There are many Nigerian doctors, lawyers, etc., as there are NBA players, etc. They're not relegated to one. They, they, they represent their own perspective on equality. Ton of Nigerian doctors that have been like landmark. The, the guy who owns Gatwick Airport in the UK is a Nigerian. Think about that. Look at that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but that's because they come from an empowered perspective, right? You can tell by the tone of the, the way they speak, even. That's wild. Right? So, yeah. so if you present those kind of opportunities, because think about it, every single opportunity that has been made available to Black people in, in this continent, on this continent, we've mastered. Mm right down to golf, to you name it. Like, think about it. Yeah. Right? If you only make crime available, we'll proliferate that. And there's the, No, it's true. It's not successful from a survival standpoint, yeah. but, but the predominance of, of presence, right? You know, they, they, they're trying their best to keep black guys out of hockey because you let, you let all the kids that are playing now into the NHL, the complexion of the league is going to change really soon. Mm. Now there's a black player on every team. Yeah. Right? Whereas when you were a kid, there were like, those like... Right here, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right? Tell so, me. So I always look at the value is always based when you take something away. So take all of black culture away from North America. Where would North America be? Think it's just remove every, like if we didn't exist. Where would America be right now? Mm. Nowhere close. Yeah. The America was built on the slave trade. So, right? so take all of that out of the formula. Everywhere would be like Idaho. Seriously. <laughs> there, there is a point. There definitely is you know? a point. There definitely is a point to that. Like, you know, the yeah. music, billions. Sports, billions. Think about it. The, right. guy who, the guy who started the NCAA said it was based on a neo-slavery model. It still is, isn't it? It still well, is. Absolutely it is. When they don't pay yeah, the millions absolutely. of dollars that these schools make. Yeah, there's coaches in, in college and making the coaches 15, making 18 millions. million a year. And the students get a free yeah. education, if yeah. that, if that, if that, yeah. right? And if they f- and if they fail, like if they break their leg yeah. or their ankle yeah. or their knee, Done. and they don't, like, where are they? That's so very all interesting. Of, all of that is. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, Farley, tell tell me more about urban resolutions. Gen- just think first, real school. Tell sure. me about all of these programs you're involved. So, in. urban resolutions uh, is a partnership I have with a gentleman named Roderick Barrington, and we work in. Urban speaks for itself. Res is residential, so that's a lot of the First Nations work we do. Okay. Um, and what we do is we're a hybrid organization. We're a consul- consultancy where we do everything from corporate um, mitigating um, toxicity in the workplace to student engagement models to um, uh, pre-employment training to student student engagement, community engagement, community capacity building, all those things. And um, that, you know, the world, that world is generally c- contracts, uh, funding, um, just thing first derived out of that. Real school is an old thing, something from 1990 that I started, okay. but, but it's absolutely present now. Our, our, our pilot model in schools is called Real School, and it's an acronym for Reality Education Applied Life Skills. So what we're doing is we're using the, as I said to you earlier, Marginalized youth, in specifically, but all youth, are really captivated by pop culture. 
Um, but what the media um, propagates is LeBron James, Sidney Crosby, um, Cardi B. And they don't say, okay, if you ask the average kid, who is LeBron James's um, agent? Some people will know who follow him, and they'll know it's Rich Paul. But most people just, just know LeBron James, mm -hmm. right? Um, so the young kids who are aspiring to greatness, if all they are trained in is or perceive themselves being successful in because the only person they see is LeBron James as a young black person, that's who you're going to choose to be like. But if you're a young Jewish kid or Chinese kid or South Asian kid, you see, you know that, like Nav Bhatia, for instance, yeah. right? The super fan. Yeah. You see, a South Asian kids are going to look at him. Oh, who's that guy? He's got a Raptor shirt on. And da, da, da. how come all the players are hugging him? And they find out he owns a Kia dealership, whatever it is. And they can say, okay, it's a different aspiration. Mm -hmm. Their goal is not to be the best basketball a, 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 a seek in at the on the at court side. Yeah. Like they they'd see beyond that. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so Real School basically breaks down pop culture into all its infrastructural contributing roles. Um, publici publicity. I'll tell you the story how it began. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. So I was doing a, um, I was asked to judge a rap contest in 1990 in Galloway. And uh, the executive director at the time said that, um, asked, they were having a rap contest. I said, how many uh, youth are in the program? She said, 85 to 90. I said, how many entered the rap contest? She said, oh, we signed them all up. They all love that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that first red flag went off right there. Because mm -hmm. at that time, Galloway would have been highly populated with South, uh, with Caribbean blacks, okay. right? Or people of Caribbean descent. So I said, well, people don't rap by virtue of race or economic status. It's an interest like anything else. And unless we make the kids aware of the other interests associated with it, we're pigeonholing them for failure, mm -hmm. Right. So I said, uh, what I'd like to do is come out and introduce to you the diversity of interests that exists amongst your kids. So I go there, there's 85, 90 kids on the gym floor. I said, who's good at math, right? And, you know, one kid elbows the other. Put up your hand, you're good at math, you're good at math. A lot of peer-to-peer -peer identification, which is critical at that age parameter, 12 to 17, yeah. right? Um, then, uh, so I asked a series of questions. Who's good at math? Who's good at English? Who likes to argue? Who likes to gossip? Who likes to draw? Who likes to write poetry? Who's introverted? Who's extroverted? And with all those particular, what I call interests, personality traits, and skill sets, I was able to correlate um, them to particular roles in the music business. So if, if you like to gossip, you could be a publicist. If you like to argue, you could be an entertainment lawyer. If you like to write poetry and you're introverted, you could be a songwriter. If you're extroverted, you're a rapper, etc. And I had all these direct correlations and then put them into common clusters and gave them rudimentary job descriptions as to how their IPSs worked with the music industry. Then I integrated them so that each cluster had a balanced representation of each of the roles. You understand? Mm -hmm. And that, that was the birth of real school. And so they each presented, like, they had to go away for two weeks, come back with how their role was going to contribute to the success of the artist, right? Present that. Uh, culminated with culminated with the uh, rap performance from the person who was the, identified as a rapper. So now it became a business challenge as opposed wow. to just saying, oh, you guys are black, you can all probably rap. Right? That's what happens. Oh, Farley, you must be a good dancer. Like, you know how many times I've heard that in my life? Oh, Farley, you, you know, you're probably a good dancer. Like, but these microaggressions and anti-black racist, like, things that people take lightly. Oh, I've got a friend from Jamaica. Like, you, like I'm not Jamaican. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. 
you know, but people feel comfortable in their own quote unquote skin making comments like that. I was in uh, going to the Junos in Saskatchewan, and a the livery service that picked us up, picked me up. Um, the driver were on the highway. I said, "So tell me about the because he didn't know, had no clue I would work with Aboriginal people." So I said, um, "Oh, so tell me about the First Nations people out here. How things looking?" And he starts going off with all these racists. I said, "Do me a favor. It was 45 below. I'll never forget this. 45 below." And I said, "Do me a favor. Stop the vehicle." Right? I said, open the trunk. I took my su- uh, suitcase out, and I, I said to him, um, I'm su- definitely not going to subject myself to your racist nature, and I will be calling your uh, livery service to tell them why I got out on this road in 45 below to wait for a cab rather than be with you. Wow. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So my, one of my favorite quotes is Einstein. He said, the greatest evil is not what we as humans do. It's the greatest evil is those who stand by and watch it being done. So if I tolerated that just because it was cold and said, okay, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll do something when I get to the hotel, what, I, what am I supposed to say when I see an indigenous person that this guy is spreading hate about? You understand? That's the level of accountability we have to have as human beings. It's nothing is okay. You know what I'm saying? When it's not okay. You know what I'm saying? It's not okay for now. It's not okay to address it later. You got to address it. So that guy, whether he remembers that or not, is irrelevant to me, but I, I doubt he forgot it, especially after I, I um, contacted his boss. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not trying to get him in trouble. I just want them to know that he impacted my ever using that service and Canadian Idol, for that matter, ever using that service again. And I told everybody at Idol, we need to change livery services. You understand? that that's what's important to me in my life. I think that's an awesome place. It's a good place to live, man. It's, 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 it's automatic happiness. When you know you're doing the right thing, you always it's feel It's very good. hard for people, though, right? Yeah, because like, people want see, the easy yeah. road. People want to do things the easy way. Yeah. Right? The easy way is, like, at, at, all, at all costs, like, sacrifice, morals, integrity, like, greed supersedes need, right? Mm. You know, people don't care about what others need. They care about the, what they can get, generally. It's unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Farley, man, I've really enjoyed this no problem, conversation. Man. Appreciate it, buddy. Okay. Oh, Sorry I was late. I was no, no. I deal with the kids. You can't leave the kids behind, man. <laughs>